Good day, dear listeners. Steve Preda here with the Management Blueprint Podcast. And today, my guest is Enrique Alvarez, the Managing Director of Vector Global Logistics, a Fortune 5000 company. Vector provides world-class logistics services to make partners and clients more successful while bettering the lives of everyone who come in contact with them. Enrique, welcome to the show. Steve, thank you very much for having me. This is exciting. I look forward to our conversation today. Thank you. It is an exciting conversation. I mean, your background is pretty crazy. I mean, how in the world does a Mexican <laughs> engineer end up at Wharton Business School and then launch a global logistics business? Well, I guess the short answer to that question is I was fortunate enough to was born in a, an amazing family. My parents really took good care of us. One of their main things was their education. And I think it's uh, in most part, I think as in many other stories out there, it's just luck that I was born in that family. There's so many millions of people that don't have the privilege that I've had. So I have to be very thankful and acknowledge the fact that in part is that, of course, I did work hard throughout the way, but I also had great mentors. I also had great teachers. I also had a great family that supported me, an amazing wife. So at the end of the day, it's really a team effort, but mostly I think it's, I was lucky. And that's why I feel so passionately to, to have to give back. I feel responsible to give back to people that might have not been as lucky as I have been. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, yesterday, I was at a conference and a friend of mine I projected a personality test and we had this conversation afterwards and I asked him how much of the, the result of these tests is nurture versus nature. And he basically said that uh, your personality gets logged in about, there's this dispute about that that's at the age of eight or the age of 12, but it's very early in life. And I'm just wondering if how you describe your family, the sport, the mentors, the coaches, whether this is what also prompted you, this background or this nurture, to focus on culture. And Vector is a very culture-driven company. And uh, in our pre-talk, we had this conversation about that you actually came up with a framework, which maybe we can call the Vector Culture Model, in order to create a simultaneously a purpose-driven as well as results-based culture. So... I'm very curious about that. How does that vector culture model work? Like how did it came, come about and how does it work and why does it work? Yes, of course. And uh, and again, I think this was a, a very, very collaborative effort, right? I don't think that it was me that came up with it. I have a really good business partner, Brian Oxley, with whom I actually work for the Boston Consulting Group before starting this company. And it was uh, as we were hiring new employees, the first one, the second, we all kind of came together and this whole thing made sense. Now, I'll tell you what it is, and then I'll explain a little bit more about what I'm trying to say. But uh, the culture is very simple and straightforward. We're basically measuring performance by results and results only. This is based on a book called Why Work Sucks that I strongly recommend people to read it. And at the end of the day, it says that you take the time and space component out of the equation and you measure performance by results and very simple key performance indicators that make the most sense and make the companies thrive. And you just focus on those things. You don't really care if people come here at eight in the morning. You don't care if they have one hour lunchtime. You don't care if they go at five. At the end of the day, all of those things 
don't really make sense because the only thing that matters is that people are empowered, that they are self-sufficient, that they are proactive and that the results are there. So for example, someone in our team loves to play the guitar. So they take guitar lessons throughout the day. I take my kids to soccer practice Tuesdays and Thursdays. And so at the end of the day, uh, it's a culture based on results. We're measuring performance and the whole pressure falls into the people that are managing and empowering people because all of a sudden you have to be very clear as of what's expected, what's agreed, what are the goals for the month, what are the goals for the quarter. And then you have to have a system in place to make sure that you can measure all those things effectively and efficiently so they can then create a feedback loop and provide suggestions and comments to the people that might not be performing or might not be reaching their goals. So it's a daily thing. So one thing is the performance-based mentality. The second pillar of our culture is the passion to give back. I mean, we believe that we just happen to be in logistics, but if you were to ask everyone in our team what we do, we're really trying to change the world and make it a better place. We have the slogan, logistics with purpose. And so we believe that through logistics, which is a really good industry to start in, you can uh, get a lot of uh, impact if you do the right things and you do them for the right reasons. And the third thing of the equation is the sell-sell model, the organizational structure, compensation structure, and transparency we have as a company. I think that's key as well. We actually are organized in small, independent, fully functional teams that can tackle any challenge or issue that are faced with in a very, again, dynamic way, which again, it's perfect for for the logistics and the supply chain industry, as I guess most of us now realize after the two years of pandemic. Okay. So basically how I understand this culture model. So you have the results, you've got the purpose, and then you get the sell-sell concept. And now I'd like to dig into uh, deeper a little bit into the sell-sell model. I mean, you showed me a chart where basically there were all these semi-autonomous cells. And uh, I mean, how does it look like? Is it like the, the two pizza size teams where you want to have the teams to limit the teams to, I don't know, eight people, you can feed them with two pizza kind of idea. And then how do these cells are coordinated so that they are still working and rowing the same direction? Uh, Can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah. So first and foremost, everything's glued with the same culture and values. That is very important. And for us, the culture is something we talk about every day. So it's very real. And you have to have that. You have to make sure that everyone that you're hiring before kind of starting this unique organizational structure, you must understand that everyone has the same values, shares the same principles and understands why we're doing this. We're doing this to leverage logistics, to change the world. Everyone is kind of very well aware of that. And as long as there's alignment when it comes to this principle, I think the rest of the pieces kind of fall in place a little bit more easily. Now, the way it works is in logistics in particular, we believe that the silo mentality is not a very good way of adding value to our customers. We believe that accountability is key. We believe that visibility and communication is key. And since we're moving products all over the world, the one thing that was made more sense to us was have smaller teams that are fully independent and they are actually working independently to delight our customers and resolve any potential issue that they might face to give the clients the best experience possible and the best service possible in the industry. So we currently have around 12 fully independent cells. They are growing and I think it's a really good thing to do because our ultimate plan is to 
make entrepreneurs, make business owners. Vector is set up in such a way that in the next couple of years, we're going to start awarding some equity to the people that are running those sales in those sales so that down the road, maybe the 10 to 15 year plan for us and my hopes and dreams, if you will, is to see some of these sales cells being owned. So not only managed and run and coordinated, but also owned by the people that are leading them. That's something that I believe it's very powerful. And that's the something that I believe will ultimately change the world even faster. If we can create better entrepreneurs, more entrepreneurs, more business owners with this kind of mentality. That's very exciting. So these cells, is there a certain size limit? Are they geographically organized? What does that look like? You said they could grow. So do, could they grow indefinitely and then become their own entities? or And then it's just become, you become a network support company? What is the vision? Yeah. So and the way we're thinking about this, and as I mentioned before, this is something that will never be settled. This is something that's going to always be a working progress. The culture and the model and the organization itself, it's always going to hopefully feel like a startup company. So we're reinventing ourselves very quickly. But to answer your question, the sales sales grow to a certain size in both amount of people and profits, because that's the one thing that's key to us. And at that point, we have the younger people that are coming up in all the different positions. So we have sales, administration, operations, marketing. And once we have these younger individuals, in particular, the business development guys or the, the junior sales reps, if you will, then they start to want a little bit more and they're starting to go after bigger and bigger accounts. So the minute we see that these guys are ready to graduate and there's certain milestones that they have to hit, we basically take out some of these younger people on that cell cell we graduate them and we build another cell around them. So that's kind of the way we're expanding, right? So it, it can grow indefinitely, no. It can actually become quite complicated and complex because they're all handling all sorts of shipments. So they do ocean freight, they do project cargo, they do trucking, they do air freight. So it's not that they're, there's not that they're experts in one single type of movement. We believe that truly creative and effective and efficient solutions in logistics come from that diversity, not only in culture and people, but in thought. So the more we handle, the more we're going to learn, the more mistakes we're going to make, but we're okay making mistakes as long as we learn from them. And the more we're going to be uh, successful. So you have these cells and then you graduate people who are more, perhaps more entrepreneurial, who can go after uh, bigger accounts, then they need to have the flexibility to do that. And then you create another cell. So how do you then coordinate all these cells? How do you make well, sure? the rules and that's and that's a really fair and good option, right? And the way we're doing it is again going back to the results mentality. So it's by focusing on the top three or four performance indicators and honestly just forgetting about the rest. So we're not trying to coordinate how they do things. We're just trying to make sure that there's basically two axes. On one axis, you have the values and culture. So as long as all the different cells are aligned when it comes to our purpose and our giving back mentality and our values and principles. And as long as they are aligned in, when it comes to the system, the software they use, the service levels that we're requesting, and they're hitting their targets, they literally can do whatever they want. And, and they do. I mean, some cells meet at different coffee shops. Some cells don't meet. Some cells have different approaches to how they're handling their accounts. And we're totally fine with that. So at the end of the day, it comes down to 
you identify the process and the system, and then you just trust the people that you hired and let them run with it. So there's no managing. It's we trust you and we're empowering you and we're competing. Everyone knows exactly where they are, which is the other component of the equation that I believe we might talk a little bit about later. But as long as you know where you fall relatively to everyone else, you can be a very good judge of how you're doing. And I think people kind of self-manage because we believe they're all adults and mm-hmm. we don't have to babysit them. So basically, these cells are profit centers on their own? Absolutely. They have their own PLs. Yep. They have their own PLs, and then maybe you provide some support services to them from Correct. the center. Correct. But essentially, they are sales-driven profit centers, and they go after business, and they hunt customers and serve them. And that's very interesting. That's a very so there's no regions, which is which is interesting, and it's very unique. At the end of the day, we believe that technology allows us to do all this, right? At the end of the day, we don't want to go after the same client. So we have a CRM system that allows us to make sure that everyone knows what client they're handling, regardless of where they are, because... Setting certain limits when it comes to regions, especially in logistics, didn't make much sense to, to me uh, at the beginning, right? You might have friends in Poland. You might have friends in the Czech Republic. You might have friends in Alaska. I mean, why wouldn't you go after those accounts just because you're not in charge of Europe or not in the Northeast of the US or the Southeast? And again, logistics is so broad and so comprehensive that we did, we don't want to limit our team to go beyond what we believe it's possible. And, and they usually do. I mean, people are, if you trust them and empower them and they all have the same vision and the system uh, to getting there, I think uh, it's very exciting. It's very empowering yeah. as well. Yeah. You essentially, um, you are leveraging the entrepreneurial energy. You're basically creating your own franchisees, but it's not even franchisees. Absolutely. Yeah, no, but you're right. That's a really good comparison. It's a little bit more like the franchisee model uh, that you would see maybe in the early days of McDonald's or some of the other kind of bigger franchises, for sure. Yeah, that's very, very uh, unique. Okay, so that's a great approach to an entrepreneurial growth to avoid uh, becoming bureaucratic. Um, Now, the other thing that we talked about, which really struck me, was that you said that there's complete financial transparency across the organization. So a lot of the entrepreneurs that I talk to are very of opening up their books. I mean, I did that also in the past and there were some pros and there were some cons uh, to that, especially when the business was going great, it was great. But then when we hit the rocks in the, during the financial crisis, then suddenly it became a negative at that time. So I wonder your, what your thinking is about and what makes you comfortable opening up your accounts and how do people respond to that? Yeah, so um, it's... Uh... Again, it's it's definitely one of those things that you'll never get the right balance, right? You always have to cultivate this mentality and make sure that you are okay resolving issues and having open conversations and arguments about this. And, and we're all in favor of that. So we have built a culture that's very open in the sense that we're not only transparent with everyone, but everyone's very transparent, open, and vocal. And they know that we're not just going to fire people because they express their opinions or because they make mistakes, because we are challenging everyone to make mistakes. But so at the beginning, we believe that if we're going to do this and we're going to be results-oriented and we're going to have this amazing culture and organizational structure, we had to let people know everything, right? So at Vector... People know not only how much other people make, they not only know how much the bonuses are awarded, how much someone got, how much the company has in our banks, how much we have in collections, how much we revenues, 
everything. It's very open to everyone. And I get it. It creates this dynamic that might might be generating some extra conflicts. But I think those conflicts that they generate are worth talking about openly and straightforwardly. So, for example, if someone, and this has happened twice already, someone comes back to us after a bonus discussion and they say, hey, why did this other person get this much and I got this much? Then we have the system to show them, well, here's the performance indicators. Here's how much this person scored. Here's how much this other person scored. Here's the uh, feedback that they get every six months from their peers. And that's the feedback that they get from their supervisors. And so we present them the information. And most of the times, like 99% of the times, at least in the experience that we have so far at Vector, people understand it. And they're like, oh, okay, this makes sense. I will probably change this, do that, try to do this more. And they they approach the whole performance evaluation process in a different way because they believe that they can really not only trust the system, but they also believe that they have the tools they need to go and improve. And that's what we want. Now, the other side of the equation, because it's not everything great, like the 1%, We've had, again, in the last years, we've had two cases where we actually reviewed this and we made a mistake. And so it was a mistake. And so we said, hey, you know what? You're right. You should have gotten a little bit more. We made a mistake. We apologize. I'm glad that you brought it up. And at the end of the day, we ended up reimbursed, like paying that person the difference so that it would be fair. And, and that helps too, because again, there's accountability. We are okay making mistakes. We can make mistakes. And if we acknowledge that we make mistakes and we make tons of mistakes, then people will see that if nothing else, we respect our values and culture and trying to do what's fair. Can you always achieve fairness? No, never. And But we're not striving for that. We're just striving to set a system and a process in place that allows people to be themselves and that allows everyone to openly acknowledge mistakes and try to improve upon them. Yeah, of course. And what I have seen with my clients who are opening up their books and you know sharing, this is our revenue, this is our profit. Uh, you know, we want to improve this. When people understand uh, how they can impact those numbers, yeah. then they will much more likely to make the effort to impact. It's them. very powerful, and it's fun to uh, to witness too, right? Because you have all of a sudden, for example, in logistics, you have the operations team, right, and you have this younger operations mem- associate, if you will, that goes into the fire and looks on the profitability of that one shipment, and then he goes back and talks to the sales rep and questions him, "Hey, why did you sell it for that low? We could have made a little bit more here or a little bit more there, or or hey, you're." charging too much. And that way we're not going to get this. uh, I mean, if if you charge too much, you're going to lose a client and it's just a short-term gain as opposed to like a long-term investment in the relationship. So yes, I could not agree with you more. And we are leaving proof that this works because people are aware, people are smart and people try to kind of be successful. I mean, everyone's trying to maximize their value in life, not necessarily only money, but just their value, their impact and their purpose in life. So yeah, this has been very, very powerful for sure. Yeah. I think a lot of companies miss the boat on not giving the full picture to their people. So they feel like they're just a cog in the machine rather than an important impactor of the whole system. And and when you create that transparency, it it is very, it's very empowering. Uh, it's uh, I have to say, and being fair to every company out there that has been around for a lot longer than mine, it's a lot harder when you're trying to change what you already have as opposed to when you're starting from scratch mm-hmm. with this mentality, right? I mean, we started with this mentality. We're starting with this transparency. And once you start, you keep adding new people to something that you already have, which I believe must be 
a lot easier than once than having everyone and all of a sudden starting to to figure these things out and trying to change. So uh, so it's not easy, but uh, it's definitely worth it. I'm totally totally uh, in agreement with you. Yeah, and and it can be done. I mean, you don't have to do no? uh, yeah. 100%. You can be gradual. You first you just show them maybe the gross profit, and then you explain what the overhead looks like, and eventually uh, share them the net profit, and and then uh, you go from there. It's just trust, right? At the end of the day, the reason why we're transparent is because we want people to trust in what we're doing and who we are and why we do it. So it's it's just the right thing to do, even if it doesn't reflect in anything. That's the way companies should be run, I think. I agree. And some people are afraid that if they show people that how profitable they are, they're going to demand higher salaries. And in fact, most cases, people think that the company is even more profitable. Right. So it's very right. rare that the employees think, oh, wow, we're making so much money. Right. It's more the opposite. So it's an unfounded fear in most cases. Well, and, and if you are afraid, then maybe there is some true into it, right? Maybe you are paying them a little too less, oh, and maybe yeah. you should be a little bit less and yeah. uh, whatever, uh, greedy, if you will. Uh, so, no, I. I think it works around well and it keeps like this system of checks and balances. And I think, again, trust and people really believing in what they're doing is key and it's going to be the future for sure. So purpose-driven organizations are definitely going to be the future of the world. I think it's also a reflection that when you when you show them the numbers, it communicates your trust to them. Yes. And trust is always a mutual thing. So if you feel that someone trusts you, uh, then it's a vulnerability. Then they are vulnerable enough to, take, to uh, expose themselves to you. So you're going to be able to trust them a lot more. So that's awesome. So I'd like to switch gears here and talk about what you guys are doing in the Ukraine, which is quite amazing that you already delivered, I think you said 550,000 pounds of equipment to Ukraine. So what is this program that you launched? Why did you launch it? And how could people participate in this? Yes, of course. And so first and foremost, this is not a new program for us. It's not something that we just recently launched. We have our cultures about making the world a better place. So we have uh, a team in charge of disaster relief efforts and everything that has to do with helping others when some things like this happen. So this is just one more event, a very tragic one. But we have helped before in the earthquakes and we have sent stuff to Haiti with the relief efforts and all. So this is one more of the things that we do. And it's a good example. Now, Ukraine is particularly important to us because it not only affected really good friends of ours, we have agents and an agent network all over the world, including Russia. And we have really good friends in Russia. This is not something that I believe the Russian people is doing. There's a very few people in Russia, primarily their leadership, that is actually making this horrific event come true. So Ukraine is important because it's connected with the supply chain and logistics of the world in many different ways. So it was disrupting, not only affecting our friends, but disrupting supply chains around the world. And we all felt it, right? We felt it because of the gas and uh, microchips and the minerals and the grains. And if you go one by one of all the things that kind of have at least some influence by Ukrainian or Ukrainian companies, there's many technologies and other big ones. So so we felt that we had to do something. We came together and we started by donating a couple of containers. So we shipped a lot of containers for free to Ukraine. We're still shipping them. And so if someone's listening and has some product that they want to donate and they could donate it, Ukraine right now needs a lot of heaters, batteries and generators because the winter's coming and, and they're going to have a, they're going to struggle even more because of the weather. 
So if you have any of those things or any other thing that you can probably donate, just contact us because we can probably ship them for free and help more people that way. The other thing we did, which I think is the most important one, was just bring people together. So we reached out to the steamship lines, we reached out to our agents around the world, we reached out to the clients and community and trucking companies in the U.S., and we just had a meeting, which a Ukraine coordination meeting months and months ago. And from that meeting, we saw the need of having these conversations regularly. So we went from having weekly meetings to now we have them once a month. And again, if someone's listening and wants to participate, we just had ours two days ago. They're more than welcome to join and I'll send you all the information so they can do so. But it's amazing because we just open up the opportunity for people to come together and talk about this. And all of a sudden you're starting to make all these connections and you're not really doing much more than putting people in touch with each other. And all of a sudden we had trucking companies donating freight for free. And then we had someone, a couple of our clients that are in the medical device industry donating medical devices. And so they talked to the other trucking company and we were not even participating in much of this other than to just open up the communication channels. And it's been great. It's been a great example of how people come together when there's hardship in the world. And it's been inspiring and it's been a really good experience despite the fact that it's a horrible thing that continues to happen. And I strongly believe that as a citizen of the world, we cannot let this slide. Uh, I know the media cycle is starting to come down a bit and you don't hear as much as you probably uh, hear about other things, but there's still a war out there in a lot of other places too. So uh, I would just say, Stay involved and uh, pick a cause or two and then just continue helping because there's a lot of need as well. Yeah. So so that's that's wonderful that you're doing this. And so those of you listening and you have something that you could donate to help uh, the Ukrainian people to get through this bitter uh, winter that's coming, then Enrique's company, uh, Vector Logistics, can freely deliver those things in containers. So reach out to Enrique. So Enrique, where can people can connect? Uh, yeah. Find, find the communication and how can they reach you? Uh, give us some things and then we'll put everything in the show notes as well. Of course. And so before I, I give you that, I just wanted to make a quick note. At the end of the day, uh, right now, we're looking for more of a corporate sponsorships and products. I mean, I know there's a lot of really caring individuals out there that are willing to donate personal effects and things like that. But from a logistics standpoint, we're not doing that at this point. So, But if anyone's manufacturing something or has a couple of pallets or a couple of uh, containers that they can donate, we could definitely move that for free. Now, the other thing is uh, you can look for us at our website. That's probably the easier way to finding out a little bit more about us, our culture, and then our initiatives, the Ukraine one as well, www.vectorgl.com. You can also look for me on LinkedIn, uh, just Enrique Alvarez and Vector. I should pop uh, up. Send us an email, contact us, and we'll be more than happy to to help if we can. That's fantastic. So, Enrique, your cell cell model of growth is is definitely very it looks very unique. We recorded over 130 episodes, but nothing like this have come up <laughs> yet. So, congratulations! That is exciting. Definitely uh, uh, check this out. And then also the support of the Ukraine. So if you're a company that can contribute to this, then please check out VectorGL.com or Pink Enrique on LinkedIn. Enrique, thanks for coming on the show and, and sharing your wisdom and being so generous. And uh, for those of you listeners, stay tuned over the Thanksgiving week because we're going to keep bringing you episodes to a week, even during the holiday. Thanks for joining, Enrique. Thank you so much for having me, Steve.
Absolutely.